Andrew Womack Ministries presents part one in the Spirit, Soul, and Body series, a four-part album. This teaching by Andrew is titled, The Basics of Spirit, Soul, and Body. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Hello, this is Andrew Womack, and on this tape set, I'm going to be talking about uh, spirit, soul, and body which may not sound the most exciting thing to you on the surface, but to me this is one of the most exciting things that the Lord has ever shown me. Over 30 years ago, 1968, I had an encounter with the Lord where the Lord supernaturally touched my life, and He just revealed His love to me in a tangible way. It revolutionized me for about four and a half months. It was like I was on a cloud, just overwhelmed emotionally with the realization that God loved me. But, on the other hand, it nearly killed me because after four and a half months, the emotion, just the um, overwhelming sense of God's love for me, began to fade. There are reasons for that. I haven't got time to talk about that. I don't believe that the Lord wanted me to live on just an emotional plane. The Scripture says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please Him. Faith is what really pleases God. God is a God of faith, and He longs to relate to us faith to faith, and not just feeling to feeling. So because of this and many other things, the revelation or the, or the emotional realization of this overwhelming love of God began to fade after about four and a half months, and then... I became worse in some ways than I was before because now I had tasted a reality of God that forever ruined me. It just spoiled me from being normal. I had a greater expectancy. My uh, hopes of what I expected from my relationship with God just went through the roof. My uh, hopes of what God could do through me went through the roof. I had a realization that there was a reality to my relationship with the Lord that I had never experienced before. And I had all of these things. You know, I, I knew that God could do anything, and yet in my physical body I wasn't experiencing that. I wasn't seeing it. I wasn't being fulfilled. And so there was a greater reality on the inside of me than there was on the outside of me. I wasn't seeing, experiencing what I knew could happen and there was a frustration that set in, a desperateness that set in that in some ways made me worse than before. During this period of time, I got drafted and went to Vietnam. And, of course, there were many pressures in Vietnam, primarily the temptation to sin. And I mean not just temptation, but actually pressure. There were times that I was the only Christian that I knew around. Everybody else was doing drugs and alcohol and having uh, sex with all of the prostitutes, and there was just so much available. I actually lived in a bunker that was papered with uh, pornographic uh, pictures on the ceiling, the walls, everything. I mean, the pressure was just unbearable, and I certainly didn't want to go that way, and yet uh, I couldn't just stay where I was. I was going to come out of Vietnam different, and so out of desperation, I started seeking the Lord and praying and primarily studying the Bible as much as 16 hours a day. Again, here is this desperation, a frustration about how do I get from where I am to where I know that I can be. I didn't know how to get there. And through studying the Word, God began to renew my mind. 
And I begin to experience that same reality of God, this time not just in a physical, emotional way, but I begin to get a revelation of truths. And these truths change my thinking and concepts and begin to release the power of God in me. The same joy, the same excitement that I'd had through that experience But it was no longer just emotional. It was no longer something that I couldn't control that came upon me and and came and left uh, without me having any ability to control it. But it began to be based on my understanding, on the knowledge of the Word of God. And I could recall it, and I could rejoice in it, and I could go back to the Word of God, and it just began to produce a stability in my life. And one of the very first revelations that I got through the study of the Word like that was this revelation that we're sharing on this tape set about spirit, soul, and body. And this just revolutionized my life. This teaching on spirit, soul, and body not only took care of the frustration and the confusion that I had, but it provided a foundation for basically everything else that the Lord has shown me over the last 30-something years. It also gave me an understanding that allowed me to get rid of some wrong thinking. I'm going to be countering a lot of wrong thinking. So anyway, in summary, this spirit, soul, and body to me has been the first great revelation that God gave me. It's been a foundational revelation that basically everything else uh, the Lord has shown me has been a spinoff of. It's become like the foundation that it's built upon. And I personally cannot understand how anybody can really prosper in their relationship with the Lord if they don't have a firm understanding about spirit, soul, and body. So I offer this to you as something that has just revolutionized my life. I'm still as excited about it over 30-something years later as I was when God showed me. As I minister this to people, I see this set people free just about as much as anything that I've ever taught. And so I believe that as you listen to this tape set, that this certainly has the same potential for you. And I'm excited because I believe that this could revolutionize your life. I've also had many people tell me that when they listen to the teaching tapes, that they don't get it all on the first time through, that they have to listen to it more. And that certainly may be true of you as you listen to this tape set. And so I'd encourage you to just really place a value on this and get the maximum out of it that you possibly can. I believe it's that powerful. Praise God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, I want to start with this passage of Scripture. There are many Scriptures that actually reveal that we have a spirit, soul, and body. But 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says it so clearly that really there is no need to establish that we have a spirit, soul, and body any further. This scripture just does it. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that is so obvious that I don't think there can be any credible argument against the fact that we are made up of a spirit, soul, and body. Now, this is very important because there are some uh, theologies that actually believe man is only made up of two parts, which is body and soul. And 
that's probably not a dominant theological position. But let me say this, that as far as practice goes, as far as people in their day-to-day living goes, very few people actually understand the concept of spirit, soul, and body. Most people confuse soul and spirit as being basically the same thing. So as far as practice goes, most people only acknowledge two parts to them, a physical part, and then there's an emotional, mental inner part that most people refer to as their personality. As a matter of fact, if you will look in the Strong's Concordance, which is uh, one of the main concordances that people use to look up Greek words in the New Testament, uh, it will even define the word spirit, pneuma, in the Greek as being the immortal soul. And so it doesn't make a distinction between those two. And, of course, I'm not here to criticize anybody else's work or something, but my study of the Word of God has revealed that there is a very distinct difference between spirit and soul. And so I disagree with that Greek definition of what the word pneuma, or spirit, means. It means more than the immortal soul. It's talking about the spirit man, the inner part of us. So there are three distinct parts, spirit, soul, and body. And the body is very obvious. If you go look in a mirror, that's the part that you see. If you were to be talking to me face to face, it would be my body that you would be looking at. Now, you would be speaking to my soul, which is my mental, emotional part. Some people define soul as your mind, will, and emotions, and I think that that certainly is true. I don't think that it's all-inclusive. There's more to it. I believe that your conscience is a part of your soul. And this is based on a study that I did. And uh, it's just too much information for me to go through all that detail. But the conclusion of my study is that your soul certainly includes your mental, emotional part. Uh, I believe it's what most people call their personality. If I was to touch your physical body, you can feel that. But I can also touch you by words. For instance, this tape. Without me physically touching you at all, I am speaking to your soul, and it can touch your emotions. It can either make you glad or sad. It can make you angry. Uh, you can say words and hurt a person. You, you've told people that before, that, well, what you said hurt me, and yet it physically didn't touch you. You aren't talking about your body. You're talking about your soul. And the soulish part of us, every person, is also in touch with that. Because it's easy for you to search and see how you feel, whether you're happy or depressed or whatever. So the body and the soul are two areas that every one of us are in touch with constantly. And we really don't need a lot of explanation on that. But the spirit part of us is a totally different matter. Jesus said this in John chapter 3 when he was talking to Nicodemus, the ruler who came to him by night, and Jesus told him that he must be born again. Nicodemus said, how can this be? How can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter in a second time into his mother's womb? And Jesus, in the process of explaining this to him, he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And what he was saying is that spirit is spirit, and flesh is flesh. And there is no direct connection between the two. They are interrelated, and I'm going to be explaining some of that in just a moment, but they 
Spirit is spirit. Flesh is flesh. You cannot, in a physical, natural way, feel your spirit. Again, if if you want to know how your body is, it, all you got to do is, I mean, just think, and your body instantly tells you if it's tired or if it's juiced, you know, if your adrenaline's flowing, if you're excited, if you're ready to go running, whether you, you can pull an inventory instantly and find out exactly how your body is. You don't even have to think about it. You're constantly being fed that information. You can also pull an inventory on your soulish realm, and you know whether you're glad or whether you're sad, whether depression's a problem or whether fear is on you or or how you're thinking, whether you're worn out mentally, and boy, you just got to take a rest. You're instantly in touch with all that. But you cannot contact your spirit through your emotions or through any physical way, just feeling, whether there's pain or those kind of things. The spirit cannot be accessed in any natural way, and herein lies one of the great problems in the Christian life, is that the spirit is the part of us that was changed. The spirit is the part of us that God communicates with. And the spirit is the part of us that all of the life and the power of God flows through. And if a person doesn't understand that you can't just feel and discern spiritual reality and truth just through your normal senses, then when the scripture says that you have the same power in you that raised Christ from the dead, that you can do the same works that Jesus did, that you're a completely brand new creation and on and on all of these promises go, if you don't understand the little principles I've just explained, then you will search your physical body and search your mental, emotional, personality part. And if you can't see, taste, hear, smell, or feel what the Bible says about you, then immediately there's this conflict. And you think, well, the Bible's so hard to understand. I don't have these things. And you'll see the disparity between your experience and what God's Word says. And many people just throw up their hands and say, it's just not true. I can't get it. I don't understand it. One of the greatest keys to walking with the Lord for me has been to understand this reality of spirit, soul, and body that the spirit realm cannot be seen or felt. The only way to discern what is spiritual truth is through the Bible, to just take it and believe it. Jesus said this in John chapter 6, verse 63. He says, the flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The word of God is spirit and it's life. It's revealing to us spiritual reality. And if you want to know what your spirit is like, then you have to go to God's word to find it out. You can't just go by an emotion, by some type of perception. You have to go to God's word. Here's another passage of scripture in James chapter 1, and in verse 23 it says, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. This is talking about a mirror. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty, talking about God's word, specifically the revelation of the gospel, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. This passage of scripture is likening the Bible 
unto a mirror that you look in, not to see your physical face, but to see your spiritual face, to see what you are in the spirit. When you want to see if your hair's combed, did you know that you have never seen your hair? Now, some of you have long hair, might be able to pull some around in front of your eyes and see it, but let me use this example. You've never seen your face. If you're a lady and you put on makeup or something, you know, and you're you're fixing your face, you aren't really looking at your face. What you're doing is looking at a representation, a reflection of your face in a mirror. The truth is you with your eyes have never looked directly into your face. You've always looked at a reflection or a representation, but you've gotten to where you trust that. Well, the Word of God is a perfect reflection of what spiritual truth is. If you want to see if your hair is combed, if you want to see if your face is fixed, you just don't go by how you feel. You can't sit there and say, well, I think that, you know, all my mascara is on and that my face is fixed, my hair is combed, and I'm ready to go. You can't go by how you feel. You have to go look in that mirror, and then you trust what you see. Well, it's the same thing with the Word of God. The Word of God gives you a perfect picture of who you are in your spirit, and it's the only way. You can know it. You can't just say, well, if I had the power of God on the inside of me, I'd know it. No, you wouldn't, because that which is spirit is spirit, and that which is flesh is flesh. You cannot perceive it. That's like a person saying, well, if my makeup was on, I'd know it. I can feel it. You can't feel that. You have to You have to look at it. You can't feel if your hair is combed. You have to go by what you see. And it's the exact same thing with the Word of God. There is a total transformation that has taken place on the inside of every person who becomes born again. Now, you can see this in many places, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, the scripture there says, If any man be in Christ, this is talking about mankind, doesn't matter if it's male or female, but if any person is in Christ, they are a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And the next verse says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us unto God by himself. The Lord has totally changed you, is what that verse is saying. It didn't say that all things are becoming new. All things have the potential of being new. It says, All things have, past tense, passed away. All things, present tense, reality, right now, have become new. And all things are of God. Now, if you don't understand this concept of spirit, soul, and body, you are instantly setting yourself up for confusion and frustration and ultimately unbelief. Because you can tell by process of elimination that this is not talking about your physical body. If you were fat before you got saved, you'll still be fat after you get saved. Your body didn't instantly pass away and all things become new. I think everybody, that's very obvious to you. The scripture reveals in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. Talking about your physical body. Jesus died for the salvation of your body. And there is coming a time in the future that we are going to receive a glorified body. But at this moment, your body hasn't been saved. It's been purchased, but it hasn't been redeemed. That's the exact Bible terminology. In other words, you go to a store and you purchase something, and with it, sometimes they will give you trading stamps. I know that when I was a kid, uh, we had S&H green stamps, 
my mother would go to the store, buy groceries, they would give her the green stamps, and then she would give the green stamps to me. And if I would paste them in the book, keep track of them, organize them, then she would take me to what was called an SNH Green Stamp Redemption Center. And I would turn the books in, and I'd be able to go through the store and pick anything that those books would e- equal the value, and I could get those things, and she would let me have these deals. See, the stamps were purchased, but they weren't redeemed. You didn't really want the stamps. You wanted them only so that you could go redeem them for something else. Well, your body has been purchased. The glorified body has been purchased through the death of the Lord Jesus, but we are still waiting for the redemption of the purchased possession. That's the terminology that Paul used in Ephesians, talking about your physical body. The body has been purchased. The payment has been made. But you still have a corrupted body, and you are waiting on an immortal, incorruptible body. And your soul is also not the part of you that got saved. Because if you were stupid before you got saved, you'll still be stupid after you get saved, unless you go to renewing your mind. That is, the soul is not the part that's been saved. Now, there's a lot of confusion on this, because you will hear people often say, Well, man, I'm a soul winner. I came to see a soul saved. There's only twice in the New Testament that it talks about soul salvation. And that's not talking about the born-again experience. But say, for instance, if a person is discouraged and their soulish realm, their emotions, is just defeated and discouraged, and then they get into the Word of God and begin to believe, and they, they receive the joy of the Lord, and they start operating in joy and peace instead of discouragement, that is soul salvation. And there's twice in Scripture that that is talked about But when it comes to being born again, your soul isn't the part that gets saved. There's many scriptures go along with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 talks about now we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, talking about our glorified body, when we go to be with the Lord, Jesus receives us, and we receive that glorified body and soul, then we won't know in part anymore, but we will know all things, even as also we are known. That's talking about that there is coming a future fulfillment of transformation and change in the soul. Now, our soul can be changed to a degree as much as we renew our mind and and begin to change our attitude and values by the Word of God. But it hasn't already happened. It's in the process of happening, and it's contingent upon us renewing our mind. So you can see that your soul isn't the part of you that old things passed away and all things become new. If you were depressed before you got saved, you will still be depressed after you get saved unless you begin to believe the Word of God and change the way that soul uh, thinks. Those are some of the things we're going to be dealing with on this tape set. And that certainly can happen, and that should happen, but it doesn't automatically happen. Let me state it this way. If you... uh, didn't pass test, you know, if you didn't know math before you got saved, well, then you just don't instantly know math after you get saved. Old things didn't pass away, and all things didn't become new. The soul is not changed. It's in the process of changing, but it wasn't wasn't instantly changed. And yet, that scripture in 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if any person is in Christ, they are, present tense, right now, a new creation, a new creature. Some translations literally say a new species of being that never existed before. It's talking about total transformation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. 
that scripture is describing a change that takes place through the new birth that isn't in process, but it's already done. It's an accomplished fact, a done deal. So by process of elimination, you can say it's not your body and it's not your soul. And so that leaves your spirit. Your spirit is a part of you that got totally changed at salvation. When a person makes Jesus Christ their Lord, there is instantaneous change that takes place. But it's not just in the physical body or in the soul. They are Typically, they are touched, impacted by the change that has taken place in the spirit. But it is not total and it's not complete. And if you don't understand this, then you are going to be, you are going to experience disappointment thinking, I thought I was a new person. I thought I was changed. I thought Jesus was going to change everything. And if you don't understand that that change takes place in the spirit and has to work its way out into the soul and the body, then you are going to instantly come into unbelief and begin to say, but it didn't change. I'm still the same. And it may cause some people to seriously doubt whether they were ever saved or if they maintain their faith that they're saved, they are going to lose their faith that they can ever really experience it and enjoy it here in this life. The key to all of that is understanding, first of all, that it's the spirit that was already totally changed. It's already done. Everything you will ever need in your Christian life is already in your spirit. Now, that's a radical truth. It took me many years to totally grab hold of that. But you aren't in the process of trying to get anything from God. In your born-again spirit, everything you will ever need is already there in its entirety, in its maturity, in its completeness. Your spirit is perfect and complete. Your spirit is exactly this moment the way it will be throughout eternity. You aren't going to get a new spirit when you go to heaven. You aren't going to have to have it matured, grown up, completed, uh, refurbished, cleaned from defilement here in this earth. We're going to be dealing with all of these in Scripture. But your spirit is right now as perfect, as mature, as complete as Jesus is. And the rest of the Christian life is learning to believe that by looking into this spiritual mirror, the Word of God, and believing what it says about you and renewing your mind. And as you get your soul in agreement with what has already transpired in your spirit, then you see the physical benefit. You are three parts, spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit is always for God. It's already changed in the likeness and the image of God. It's got everything that God is. And then you've got your soul and your body. If your soul gets into agreement with your spirit, well, then that's two against one. If your soul gets into agreement with your spirit, that's two parts of your being in agreement. It's a simple majority. Those two will dominate this third part, the physical body. And the physical body will experience the life and the victory and the power that's in your spirit. But on the other hand, if that soul goes with the physical body and it is dominated by what it can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel, just the five senses, if your soul doesn't begin to perceive what has taken place on the inside of you in your spirit, and so if it puts itself in agreement with your physical body, well, then that will stop the life that is in your spirit and this change that has already taken place from ever manifesting itself in the physical realm. Your spirit 
has to flow through your soul to get into your body, into the physical world. You know, on the front of our album cover, cover for this, I've got a diagram of many different ways of depicting the relationship between spirit, soul, and body. These are what I call functional diagrams. And what I mean by that is that there is no real inspiration or reality to the fact that, you know, uh, I've depicted spirit, soul, and body as three circles, one inside of another. Uh, we aren't circles. Some of us are more round than others, but the truth is none of us are circles. But what this does, it describes a relationship. The three circles inside of each other describe that like the outer circle is the body. That's the part that you see. Then there's this inner part, the soul, that is inner. But then there is even the spirit, and the spirit is the core of us. It is the central part. Most people don't really recognize that, at least not functionally, most people believe that what they feel in their emotions, their soulish realm, that that's what really counts. That's reality. That is the core me. But no, there's another part. The spirit is the real you. In James chapter 2, and I believe it's verse 26, the scripture there says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And that just makes it very clear that the life-giving part of you is the Spirit. The Spirit is where your life comes from. When God created Adam and Eve, He breathed into them the breath of life. That word breathe in the Hebrew is the word for wind, and it literally was translated Spirit in other places. It's the word that we use for Spirit. So God created the physical body, the mental, emotional part of Adam. Everything was there, but it didn't have any life until he breathed into it, until he imparted spirit into Adam's body. And the spirit is the life-giving part of us. So the spirit is where our life comes from, and that's the reason that in this one diagram of the three circles, one inside of the other, the spirit is the innermost circle and it also reveals another thing, and that is that the spirit is completely surrounded by the soul, and the spirit doesn't have direct access to the physical body. It has to go through the soul. Another way of depicting that, I've got three circles that are separate, and uh, the center circle is connected to both of the outer circles. There's three circles, and the one in the middle is it intersects the two outer circles. And I've depicted that as spirit, soul, and body. And that, once again, shows that the spirit does not directly link to the body. But instead, it has to go through that soulish realm, the mental, emotional part. Another depiction that I have on the front of that cover is a pipe. And on that pipe, you'll notice that I've got on one side, it says spirit, and then on the other side is body, and in the middle is the soul, and that's it's designed like the soul has a valve on it, or a faucet, to where you can turn that valve. And basically that is the function of your mind, your mental, emotional part, the soulish part of you. In your spirit, you've got everything. You, you are already a brand new creation. But that spirit will not manifest any of that. It's possible for you to have the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. 
the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead already indwells every born-again believer. But if your mind is like a valve, and if it's closed to that, if it doesn't embrace that truth and renew its mind and get to where what you see in the Word of God, in the spiritual mirror, if that doesn't become more real to you than what you see in your physical mirror, then it's possible for this resurrection life that's in your spirit to be completely shut off, just like you would shut the valve on a faucet. You can shut that so that not one drop of water that's in those pipes ever comes out. Well, your mind can function like that. You can get to where you totally are dominated by what you feel. And you say, but I feel sick. My body hurts. The doctor says I'm dying. Here's my medical record. And if those things dominate you, then even though you have the raising from the dead life of God in your spirit, that soul can shut off that power so that not one drop of God's life-giving power ever touches your physical body, and you can die sick having the resurrection life of God on the inside of you. And, of course, you can apply that to every area of your life. You can have uh, depression in you, you can have uh, anger and bitterness when the whole time in your spirit there is love, joy, and peace, as it says in Galatians 5.22. So the critical part of you is actually the soul. You're, you are three parts, spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit is always for God. Your spirit is always like God. It has everything in it that God has. And then your body really is neither good nor bad. It's not moral or immoral. It's amoral. Your body doesn't really dictate or control anything. It's your soul that controls what happens. Your spirit is always for God. Your body basically is just going to go with the flow. And if the soul doesn't influence it, then your body will just go by what it sees, tastes, hears, smells, and feels. If there's something bad going on around you, your body will tend to uh, have fear. But on the other hand, you, you've got these three parts. If you get your soul in agreement with the Spirit, then it's two against one. The life of God that's in your spirit will manifest itself in your physical body. It'll produce healing. It'll produce deliverance. It'll produce anointing, victory, and power. And on and on it goes. On the other hand, your soul gets in agreement with what it sees so that you cannot believe anything that you can't see well, then you will shut off the life of God that's in your spirit. And sad to say, this is where a large number of Christians are, and I believe that the reason that that is so, that most Christians are like that to where they just can't believe anything that they can't see, taste, hear, smell, or feel, is because they do not have a functional, working revelation of spirit, soul, and body. They really don't understand that the change has already transpired in their spirit. They are not fully aware of who they are in Christ. And they think that if they can't see it, taste it, hear it, smell it, or feel it, that it's not real. And they don't want to be a liar. They don't want to be a hypocrite. They're just trying to be honest. And they search their physical, emotional realm. And if they can't see or perceive the power of God, then they think, well, it's not here. But the truth is, if you've made Jesus your Lord, there was a change that took place. You became all brand new. Old things passed away, all things became new. And that is the beginning place of victory in your relationship with the Lord. I can't overstate how important this is. What this did for me, it just began to transform 
my life and my thinking because, again, I had experienced God's power and reality, but after the emotion of it wore off, I thought that it was gone. I thought that I knew that God was real and that all of the things he promised were real, but I didn't think that they were in me. And I went through a period of desperation, discouragement, frustration, not because of sin, but because of a desire to live for God and experience his best, and I just felt like I couldn't get there. And when I began to see that I, my spirit, I already had it, that it was a matter of releasing what I had, not going and trying to get something from God. That concept revolutionized my life. And since that time, I've come to realize that the Christian life, once you get born again, is not a process of getting from God, but rather it's a process of renewing the mind to where I just learn to release what I've already received. It is so much easier to release something that you've already gotten than it is to go get something that you don't have. That concept of trying to get something that you don't have, maybe it's been promised to you, but you don't have it, it's not reality, that has in it an element of doubt. In other words, you believe it's possible, but you don't believe it's already a reality. So you're going to head towards it and start believing God for healing, for joy, for victory, for power, whatever. Well, see, that already has an element of doubt. You believe it's possible, but you don't believe it's already done. But once you believe it's already done, how can you doubt that you're going to get something that you already have? There was a time when my wife and I were first getting started in the ministry, and I had just come out of Vietnam we went through an extreme poverty at the beginning, and the Bible that I had with me in Vietnam was mildewed from all the humidity in that climate. And it, Plus, I'd written on it. It was taped together. I had lost entire chapters, and even in some cases, entire books of the Bible were gone. And here I was, pastoring a church in Seagoville, Texas, and I didn't even have a complete Bible. So one of the very first things I started really believing God for was a new Bible. And some of you will have trouble relating to this. You think, well, you could have gone and bought a Bible. But, I mean, we literally were so poor that we had to take every penny we had to pay our bills and to eat, and we would go sometimes two weeks without food. I mean, there was just no money available to go buy a new Bible. And it took me nearly six months of believing God for me to be able to go buy a new Bible. And during that period of time, I just made a issue out of this. I said, if I can't believe God to supply me with enough extra money to go get a Bible, then how in the world am I going to believe God to heal the sick and to change people's lives and see people born again and delivered and set free? So I just made an issue. It's like I drew a mark in the sand and said, I'm going to win this battle or I'm going to die trying. So it was non-negotiable. I fought over this and the devil fought me back. And I had thoughts of fear and unbelief that it won't work. I had thoughts come to me like, some man of God you are, some pastor you are. You don't even have a whole Bible. You can't even believe God. You are a failure. I had to deal with those thoughts constantly. But you know, when I finally got the money, when I went and bought the Bible, and I had my name engraved on it, and I walked out of that bookstore with my Bible under my arm, did you know what? Instantly, the doubts that I would get it left. I never doubted again that I would get my Bible once I had it. And I know that some of you are thinking, well, of course you don't. Why would you doubt that you're going to get something if you already have it? 
Well, that's the point that I'm making. That's a, I'm trying to make an illustration here. In the natural, we don't do that. If you've already got it, you don't doubt that you'll get it. But a person who is saying, I'm believing God for healing, but you're having to struggle and say, I cast down that thought of doubt. I believe that I am going to receive. It is mine. God is going to heal me. I will receive my miracle from God. But you're having to deal with doubts. One of the reasons that you're doubting is because you don't believe you've already got it. You believe you can get it, but you don't believe you do have it. Now, that is a major revelation. You need to let that sink in. And see, the reason I got that concept is because I began to realize that I am not trying to get born again. I'm not in a process of being born again. When I confessed Jesus as my Lord, I was instantly changed. My spirit is totally brand new, and my spirit isn't in the process of change. It's not growing up. It's not maturing. In my spirit, I am total and complete And the rest of the Christian life isn't learning how to get from God, but it's learning rather how to release the life that he's already placed in me instantaneously through that new birth. Boy, what a radical truth. Radical truth. Here's a scripture in Philemon. Paul wrote this to a friend of his, Philemon, and he prayed a prayer for him. And in verse 6, Philemon chapter 1, verse 6 He prayed that the communication of your faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Now, this is a radical statement. He says the communication, the word communicate means to release or transfer. For instance, I'm communicating with you. I'm taking things that God has spoken to me and made a reality in my life, and I'm communicating them, releasing them to you, transferring them to you. And he says the communication, the release, or the transfer of your faith may become effectual. The word effectual means it just begins to work, begins to be productive. And how does that happen? He said by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. He didn't say that your faith begins to work by getting more faith, by going to God and getting a new anointing, a double portion, getting more of God. See, those are concepts that you'll hear often, but the truth is that's not reality. You'll hear people say things like, well, man, in the Old Testament, Elisha had a double portion of what Elijah had. And if you, this is double portion night. Come up here and we're going to pray for you to get twice as much of God for the power of God. See, that's an Old Testament principle. Elijah didn't have the fullness of God. He only had a very small part. Therefore, Elisha could have twice as much as Elijah. But in the New Testament, the scripture says in John chapter 1, verse 16, that of his fullness have all we received in grace upon grace. In the New Testament, you don't get just a little bit of God and somebody else has a little bit more of God. The truth is every born-again believer became totally brand new. Old things passed away. All things became new. In our spirit, we are all identical one to another. We all receive the same measure of faith. We all receive the same power, the same wisdom, the same ability. Our spirits are all identical. They are identical to the Lord Jesus Christ in every way. Your spirit isn't in the process of growing and becoming better. You've already got everything. And the rest of the Christian life, the way your faith becomes effectual is by acknowledging this. 
That very word, acknowledge, is important. You can't acknowledge something that isn't a reality. You can only acknowledge things that already exist. He says that your faith becomes effectual. It begins to work when you acknowledge, when you recognize that it already exists in you, all of these great things in Christ Jesus. In my life, my testimony is that I experienced the power of God. I had a great emotional experience, and it instantly affected my passion, and it affected my zeal and my expectations from God. But I didn't see any manifestation of power, victory, joy, anything, until I began to renew my mind and until I found out that I already had these things in me. And it's as I begin to acknowledge what God had already done that the manifestation of God's presence and power begin to manifest itself in my life and that people's lives begin to be changed. My life and other people's lives begin to be changed. This is my testimony that it's the acknowledging of what was in me, what was already in me in Christ that began to produce victory in my life. And it's that same thing with you. Again, most people have this concept that God can do anything. And now that we have made ourselves a Christian, that we've believed on him and received this salvation, we have an access to God. And through our prayers, God can release that power to us. But we believe that it's conditional on a lot of things. We have to hold our mouth just right. We have to be holy. We have to do everything just right. We have to pray. We have to study the word. Can't be in strife and on and on and on. And even though God has that power and, and he's, uh, it's available to us, it's conditional on us doing a lot of things as to whether it comes to pass or not. And those doubts about it already having become reality and those, those conditions keep us from really experiencing it. We believe that God has the power, but we don't believe that it's already in us. We believe that it's out there and we have to do things to go and obtain it. But when you begin to start believing that, no, it's already reality. When I got born again, God put his same power, his same anointing, his victory, his joy, his peace, his everything is already in me in abundance. And the only reason it doesn't manifest itself in my emotions or in my physical body is not because God didn't give it, but because of an unrenewed mind. I'm still looking in the physical mirror instead of looking in a spiritual mirror. And that's basically it. One-third of your salvation is already complete. Your spirit is as saved, as sanctified, as holy, as empowered as it will ever be throughout all eternity. The only thing that's going to happen is you'll get a new body and a new soul to match up with your new spirit. But your spirit will not be improved upon. It's your soul and body that are in the process of change. And at the second return of the Lord, or at our death and going to be with him, then that soul's going to be changed at the second return of the Lord's when our body will be changed. And eventually we'll be reunited, spirit, soul, and body, and all three will be perfect. But right now, your spirit is as perfect, as complete as it will ever be, and the rest of the Christian life is a renewing of the mind. And as we do that, then the physical body will experience the benefit. Here's another scripture that says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. In verse 2, it says, don't be conformed to this world. The word conform there means to be poured into the mold of. In other words, there's pressure from the world, from the devil, from unbelievers, from circumstances. You can't go through life without being pressured. You come into this life innocent and pure, but you don't exit that way just automatically. You cannot go through life without being pressured. You're going to be melted, but you get to pick what mold you fit into. You don't have to become bitter, and you don't have to experience the defeat that this world offers you. You will be changed. You are going to change, but you get to pick what kind of change that is. So don't be conformed. Pour it into the mold of this world, but be transformed. That word transformed in the Greek is the word metamorpho, and it's the word we get metamorphosis from. The process where a little worm spins a cocoon and then comes out a butterfly. If you want that kind of transformation, change, metamorphosis, so that you begin to start in your physical and emotional realm changing from the bitter, hurtful person, from the sick person, from the defeated person into the victorious person that God wants you to be. If you want that kind of change, the way it happens, Romans 12, 2 says, is by the renewing of your mind. Your spirit's already changed. Your body is just basically like the caboose. It's just going along for the ride. It's what you think in your soul. It's your mind, your attitudes that determine whether you experience the life of God or whether you experience the death and defeat of the natural realm. And it's the renewing of your mind that changes all that. How do you renew that mind? It's through the Word of God. God's Word tells you what is spiritually true. It gives you new values new attitudes, and you have to conform yourself to what God's Word has to say about you. Let me share some scriptures with you that show you basically what has happened. It'll uh, illustrate some of these truths about the change that took place in your spirit. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17, he says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Now, the word Gentile here is talking about a non-Jew. In the context of Paul, he was saying a person who's not in covenant with God. The way we would express this today is say, don't walk like a lost man, a person that doesn't have a relationship with God. In other words, don't let your mind just be controlled and dominated by carnal, physical things. If you don't begin to start thinking spiritually minded instead of carnal minded, then you will shut off the flow of the life of God through you. A scripture that goes along with this is Romans 8, 6. And that verse says, To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Carnal mindedness doesn't mean necessarily sinful mindedness. Now, all sin is carnal, but not all carnality is sin. The word carnal literally means of the five senses. In other words, don't let your mind be dominated only by what it can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. You can perceive reality beyond that. Your soul can, through faith, you can believe the Word of God, and you can, you can believe things that you can't see. Do you know, in the physical realm, we've come to realize that there are germs that are microscopic that we can't see those. But under a microscope, 
We've seen them, or we've heard somebody else's testimony about it. And you know what? We wash our hands, and we do things, even though we we don't see that there's any dirt on it. But you know what? We've come to believe that there's things that exist that we can't see. There are radio signals, television signals, all around you right now, whether you're in a car, whether you're in a house, wherever you are, there are radio signals, television signals, things that you can't see. We've come to realize that there are things that exist that we can't see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. Well, that's just in the physical world. There is an entire spiritual world that exists, and there are spiritual realities on the inside of you. There is a spirit part of you that you can't just perceive with your little peanut brain. You can't get it through your senses, but you can believe it as you read it in the Word of God. You can just believe what God's Word says, and you can do that. See, this is what it's saying. Begin to use your mind, not like a Gentile to where you're just controlled by the flesh, because if you're carnally minded, that means fleshly dominated, it's death. But the rest of that verse, Romans 8, 6 says, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. It didn't say that spiritual mindedness tends towards, it helps It'll push you that direction. No, it says spiritual mindedness is life and peace. In other words, you could do it like a mathematical formula. Spiritual mindedness equals life and peace. Carnal mindedness equals death. This isn't talking about only physical death, but depression is death. Uh, death is anything that's a result of sin, whether it's the ultimate physical death of your body or if it's talking about the slow death of emotional sadness, loneliness, bitterness, anger, all of those things. Carnal mindedness produces death. And what is spiritual mindedness? Again, I go back to John 6.63. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are alive. So spiritual mindedness means word minded. If you are dominated by what God's Word has to say instead of just what your physical senses say, then you're spiritually minded, and all it will produce is life and peace. Another scripture that goes along with that is Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. The Lord will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon him because he trusteth in him. Notice again, it links peace, an emotion, to the way you think. If you have a lack of peace, you may say it's because of this circumstance and it's because of what that person did and it's because of these problems that I've got. But no, that's not your problem. The problem is that you've allowed your mind to be dominated by what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel, these problems. If you would have kept your mind stayed upon God regardless of what your physical circumstances are, He will keep you in perfect peace. Your spirit is always in perfect peace. On the other hand, if your mind is stayed on your problems and looking and thinking about the potential damage and seeing what those problems have done to other people, and if you're dominated by what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel, then even though you've got the perfect peace of God in your spirit, you won't experience it in your soul. Not because it's not there in your spirit, but because you didn't release it. You didn't draw it out. You've got that tap, that valve closed, and the life that's in your spirit isn't flowing. Back again to Ephesians 4.17, it says this, I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, not using their mind to see and perceive spiritual truth. They aren't being spiritually minded, but they're being carnally minded. Don't walk like that. Then verse 18 says, having the understanding darkened. Again, this is talking about the function of your mind. If you don't use your mind 
uh, to study the Word of God, and if you don't renew your mind, it will automatically gravitate towards being controlled by what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. What that will do, it will darken the understanding. Let me just quickly illustrate the importance of understanding by saying that the knowledge of God's Word is critical. You've got to have it. But you've got to have the understanding of that knowledge, the application of it. In other words, knowledge is like taking food and putting it in your mouth. It's the first step. But you know what? You actually have to swallow that food, and your body has to start digesting it before all of the nutrients and the benefit in that food begins to release into your body. The knowledge of God is important, but it's only important if you can understand it, if you can begin to release the life that's in it. And it says here that if you are walking like a Gentile, a lost person, and you aren't seeing spiritual truth, you're just being dominated by your carnal mind, carnal thinking, then all you can get is death. You can't understand. It won't release its life. You've got to begin to start renewing your mind. And again, this teaching on spirit, soul, and body, understanding that everything is already complete to me is the most basic, fundamental first step that you can take in that direction. So it says that if you walk like a Gentile, then you aren't using your mind for spiritual things. You're just dominated by the natural. That produces a darkening of the understanding. And then it says being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. In other words, the life of God is still there, but you're alienated, separated from it because of your ignorance. Again, referring to the mind, the way the mind thinks. If you are dominated by physical, natural things instead of by spiritual truth, it alienates you from the life of God. And this is what's happened with most of us. We have not thought the way God thought. God says, you're healed by my stripes. And so we go look in the mirror and we say, oh, is that, is that cancer? Is that tumor gone? We feel, and if we can't see it, and if we still feel pain, and if we're still emotionally drained and fearful over it, we say, well... God says, I'm healed, but I'm not. I mean, I looked in the mirror, and I'm not. And so we adopt that. We begin to start thinking carnally, being dominated by the five senses. And what God said was true, because in your spirit, you have the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. But you didn't believe it. You were letting your mind be in control by the, what it can see in the physical realm more than what it can believe in the spiritual realm. And because of that, then the physical will continue the way it was. And even though you've got that life of God, the resurrection life of God in your spirit, it won't manifest itself in the physical because you are carnally minded. That equals death. Boy, this is so profound. And he just continues on in verse 19. He says, Who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Basically, this is saying that there is a godly type of feeling. You don't just deny that your senses exist. But most people have gone beyond just, you know, their their senses giving them input to where their senses are actually controlling them. They've gone beyond just what God intended feelings to be, and they've gone into lasciviousness to where they are dominated, controlled by feelings. Most people are letting feelings run them. Feelings ought to be like the caboose on a train. They do exist, but they are—they shouldn't be the engine. They ought to be the thing that follows along. They follow the way you think. 
But most of us have allowed ourselves to just let feelings dominate. They're the engine instead of the caboose. And it says in verse 20, But you have not so learned Christ. That's not the way it should be with a Christian. If so be if you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now remember, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, or a new man. This says that you put on the new man, which is talking about that new birth, the spirit part of you, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now see, again, this is looking in that spiritual mirror. What's your spirit like? Well, this scripture says it was created in righteousness and true holiness. Did you know when you got born, you didn't start to exist, and, and you know, ten years later, you become really a person? You know, this is a whole debate over abortion is when does life begin. Some people don't believe that it starts until the moment you come out of the womb, but it actually starts at conception. And there's scriptures that talk about that. Psalms 139, etc. And so anyway, you are already a person. You were created that way. And this is what it's saying is that when you got born again, you were created the righteousness of God in him. You were created in righteous and truly holy. See, most Christians have a concept of thinking that I'm becoming righteous. I'm getting holier. What they're doing is talking about their actions. They're looking on the outward physical realm. And it is true that Christians vary in their actions, vary in the degree of holiness that they live in outwardly. And so there are increases and decreases in the physical realm. But in your spirit, you are created righteous and truly holy. And this is so vital because the scripture reveals to us in John four twenty four, Jesus said this, he said, God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It didn't say you might, you should, this is preferable. He said you must worship him in spirit and in truth. Why is that? Because when you get born again, your spirit is completely changed. You old things have passed away, all things have become new. And one of those changes that took place is that your spirit was instantly created righteous and truly holy. And see, if you don't understand this, if you're approaching God based on how you're acting in your physical body and how your thought life is at that moment, if you approach God on that basis, you aren't worthy to come into his presence. Even at your very best performance, you still are falling short of doing everything that you should. Even when you are at your best state emotionally and you've been seeking God, you still have negative thoughts and things in your mind that are impure. And God is holy. So how can holy God fellowship with unholy man? Even at our very best, we still fall short of God's standards. Well, the way it happens is, is that when you put faith in Jesus, you become born again, and in your spirit, you become a brand new creature that is righteous and holy. You are as pure and holy in your spirit as Jesus is, because it's his righteousness that has been given unto you. 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, it says that Jesus is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Jesus has become our righteousness. Praise God. What a radical truth. See, when a person says, well, all of my righteousness is his filthy rags, that's a quotation from Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, I believe it is. And it is true that in the Old Testament, your righteousness is as filthy rags. But see, Old Testament people weren't born again. They didn't have a new spirit that was created in righteousness and true holiness. And so, regardless of how good they lived in their physical body and in their soulish mind, they still sinned and came short of the glory of God. It's what it says in Romans 3.23. All of us have. And so, if you're just looking at the physical, natural, um, outward part of man... All of our righteousness is like a filthy rag. That's true. But when you get born again, you aren't any longer just physical. See, this is the whole point I'm trying to get across, is that you are in the Spirit. You're a brand new person, a new species that never existed before. And that Spirit was created in righteousness and true holiness. There is no impurity in it. You are as righteous and holy as Jesus is, that Jesus has become your righteousness, First. Corinthians one thirty, So for a New Testament believer to say, well, all of my righteousness is his filthy rags, that's really not accurate. In a sense, that'd be like calling Jesus a filthy rag because Jesus has become your righteousness. You were created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, it is true that in the physical realm, you do need to be improving in your actions and emotions, thoughts of holiness. But you will always be in process. You will never arrive. You just leave and head that direction in the physical and the emotional realm. But in the spirit, you are not in the process of becoming righteous. You were already created righteous and truly holy. And since God is a spirit, John four twenty four, and he looks at your spirit. See, this is the reason you must worship him in spirit and in truth. You have to come before God in your spirit because that's the part of you that was created righteous and holy. That's the part of you that when you come before God, God can accept you. The new birth is essential because if a person doesn't get born again, if they only try and change in their physical body and become better, and they approach God based on who they are in their actions and who they are in their thoughts, well, even though they're better than they were, they still are coming short of the glory of God, and God cannot lower himself to that standard. And so there would be no way for unholy man to ever communicate and truly fellowship with God, worship God, if it wasn't for the new birth. But when you get born again, your spirit gets elevated. It gets recreated to where it's literally, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 4, that God sends forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It's literally, when you get born again, your spirit passes away. The old spirit is taken out. It dies, is what the scripture says in Romans chapter 6. And God places within you the spirit of his son. That's what it says again in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. It says, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. In other words, you aren't truly born again unless you receive God putting the Spirit of his Son in your heart. The Spirit of Jesus has come to live inside of every born-again person. And your Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus have intermarried, they've merged, they've become one, so that... You are now a totally brand new person and the identity and the holiness 
The makeup of your spirit is identical to Jesus. Man, that's what it's saying. And you are righteous and truly holy. You're as righteous as Jesus is. So for a Christian to say, well, my righteousness is like filthy rags, you either have to be talking about your self-righteousness, which you aren't supposed to come before God in, or you are totally ignorant of the fact that your spirit has been born again. You are calling this righteousness that you received at salvation inferior, and you're saying it's a filthy rag. That's an affront against God and what he says. The mirror, the spiritual mirror says that you have been created in righteousness and true holiness. There is no impurity in it. It says this over in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. It says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, speaking of Jesus, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. It didn't say, so are we going to be in the next world. It says, so are we in this world. If you go to a physical mirror and try and look in the mirror and say, well, I'm like Jesus is, and you see zits and wrinkles and baldness and bulges and all kinds of things that you know Jesus isn't like that, and then you search your emotional realm, and you have depression and discouragement and anger and bitterness, and you don't love the way you know Jesus did. If you only look in the physical, emotional realm and try and reconcile that with 1 John four seventeen, it says, as he is, Right now is, present tense, so are we in this world. If you only try and discern that in the physical, emotional realm, you're going to come to a place where you say, the Bible is so hard to understand. I just can't understand what it means. Anybody can tell by looking at me that I'm not as Jesus is. And so you move into unbelief and say, I just can't understand the Bible. And then you let your senses continue to dominate you. But see if you understand spirit, soul, and body and understand that it's your spirit that this is speaking about. The only way that this can be understood, when it says that as Jesus is, so are we right now in this world. The only way that can ever be explained is to be talking about this part of you that was born again, that old things passed away and all things became new. That part of you is as Jesus is right now. Man, that is an awesome truth. Again, so very few Christians really believe this because they can't see it in a mirror. They can't feel it in their emotions, and they don't functionally practice that they have a new born-again spirit. They don't ever look at that part of them in the spiritual mirror. They forget, and they become dominated by what they can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. They become carnally minded, and it produces death in them instead of spiritually minded, which produces life and peace. I tell you, this is such a great revelation. If you really believe that as Jesus is, right this moment, in heaven, all of his glory, all of his power, all of his perfection, if you believe that as he is, so are you right now in this world, that would revolutionize your life. Now, that's not all that there is to it. You have to learn how to release this power. There is a process of renewing the mind. It's not instantaneous. It's not just one thought that changes your life. But this one thought is so radical, it would begin the process. And there, there is patience and there's a growth in the soulish realm, understanding, maturing. But if you just believe that one truth, how radically that would change our lives. You know, if I told you that you had a million dollars buried in your front yard, and if you really believed that, if you really believed it, you know what? You couldn't see it because it would be buried. And so if you just went by what you could see and you went out and looked and you didn't smell it, 
You didn't see it. There was no indication. There was no signs. It was just my word. If you went by only what you could see, you could leave that money buried and get to a place to where even those people would say something about it every once in a while. You didn't really care. You didn't think about it. And you, you could live in poverty. You could do without. And that money could be very close to you, just a matter of feet from you, and, and you never benefit from it. But on the other hand, if you believed it, if you really believed it, now there's more to it than just believing it. You have to dig and find it and get it out. And if you had a steam shovel, a huge backhoe, that would be wonderful. You could get it quicker than somebody that just has a spoon. But if both people believed it, that there may be an, uh, one person can get to it quicker if he has better equipment, if he has you know, the ability to dig faster and, and, and bigger scoops, etc., one person may be able to get it quicker than the other, but if both believed it, even a man with a spoon, if he believed it, could eventually get it if he just believed it. If he didn't quit the first time he got a blister, after he went one inch. And see, this is the way it is. Just knowing that God himself lives in you and that your born-again spirit is identical to Jesus, that is such a powerful revelation that even if you don't know much else, if all you've got is a little spoon spiritually so that you're just, this is the only revelation you've got, what a radical difference it would make in your attitude and in your actions. The more you know and the more you're educated in the Word of God, the quicker you can begin to start seeing these things manifest in your life. But before any of it works, you've got to acknowledge what's already there. Your spirit's already changed. It's already righteous and truly holy. As Jesus is, so are you in this world. He goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, it says, He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. And the word for one there in the Greek is the word hes, H-E-I-S. And it doesn't mean just one in the sense that there's similarities, like you're joined in purpose. You know, we'll say something about being one, and what we mean is it is kind of like parallel. Similarities. There's a oneness. But no, that word hes means a singular one to the exclusion of another. It's talking about a union that if, if there are in the spiritual realm, if there are molecules and atoms, it's basically saying that you are molecule for molecule, atom for atom, identical to Jesus. As Jesus is, so are you in this world. He that's joined unto the Lord is one spirit. You are one with him. I know that the things that I'm saying are so radical and they are so contrary to what you can perceive with your physical mind that some people just will not embrace this because they can't prove it physically and they are so used to being dominated by what they can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel that they can't see that kind of unity. They can't see that kind of uh, reality in their physical body. And so some people just cannot receive this. But this is the truth of the Word of God. You do have the potential to believe it. You can renew your mind. And if you will renew your mind, then you can be transformed through that renewing of your mind to where you will prove, manifest to your physical senses the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. If you will embrace the things that we've talked about, you can get to where you start seeing this perfection that came into your spirit at salvation begin to start flowing out through your soul and through your body where it not only impacts you physically, but it'll even flow out beyond you and touch other people. And you can see virtue flow out of you the way that Jesus did and see other people healed. 
You know, since I began to understand these things, I've literally seen people raised from the dead. I've seen blind eyes open, deaf ears open. I've not only seen just physical things, but I've seen emotional healings and and uh, people set free from depression and discouragement through these very things that I'm sharing with you. They've not only changed my life and impacted me so that God has healed my body and set me free, but it's flowing out even beyond me and touching other people. Every person has that potential, and of course, much more than what I've ever experienced. I haven't tapped into all of it. I'm still in the process of renewing my mind, but I've seen it work enough that I can testify that this is a truth that will not only change you, but it will change other people around you. But if you don't get these truths, I don't understand how any person can ever manifest the power of God if all you really acknowledge is your physical body and your soul, what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. If that's all that you think is reality, if you can't perceive things beyond that, if you don't know that when you got born again, the spirit was radically changed, and it's not in the process of being changed, your spirit change is already complete. It's your soul and it's your body that's in the process of change. If you don't understand that, and if you think that God out there has power, but you don't believe that it's already been committed unto you, then you're going to eventually become discouraged and not necessarily doubt that God has power, but doubt that you can ever obtain to it. But how can you doubt that you'll get it if you've already got it? It's a matter of releasing it. Man, if you really believe that, then you'll keep digging until eventually you hit pay dirt, until eventually something begins to work. That's my testimony, that once I began to see these things, I didn't understand how faith worked for many years, but just the knowledge that it was there, I began to start praying for things and believing for things that in the natural there was no reason for me to believe that I could ever manifest that power. I prayed for people to be healed, and I didn't feel anything in my flesh. There was no tingle. There was no burning. There was no physical reason for me to believe that that power of God could manifest, except I'd been looking in my spiritual mirror, and I believed that power was in me somewhere. And because I didn't understand much about it, I didn't see very many people healed, but I laid my hands on so many people, I started seeing some healed. And I saw a power manifest that was beyond my ability, and that encouraged me to keep digging. And I found more and more the deeper I dug. And as I began to learn truths, it became easier to dig. I could dig quicker, and I'm still mining what God has placed on the inside of me. But it has totally changed my attitude. Now when I come up against problems, instead of feeling inadequate and saying, Oh, God, I know you've got power, but I'm just a man. God, I don't have any power. I now realize that, no, I'm not just a man anymore. One-third of me is complete. One-third of me is like Jesus. And one-third of me is wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. And it has now given me a different attitude that gives me a, a confidence and a security and a belief that allows me to confront problems and overcome problems that I wasn't able to confront before. I believe that this same teaching will do the same thing for you. I encourage you that, to recognize the importance of what we've talked about. I've only scratched the surface. We've got more teaching that we're going to be doing on this. I'm going to be saying it so many different ways. That, praise God, I believe you're going to get it. And I just praise God, I believe that this truth will set you free the way that it has impacted my life. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. 
we invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.